Amen. Well, early this week, I texted Chuck about what to speak on this morning. And before I heard back from him, God gave me a message. And it was sort of surprising because it was a message about Thanksgiving. And I thought, well, that's strange because when I give the message, Thanksgiving will be over. And God said, I don't want Thanksgiving to be over. And so the message he gave me was thankfulness beyond Thanksgiving. So our message this morning is thankfulness beyond the holiday or developing a lifestyle of gratitude. Now, we've just finished celebrating one of my favorite holidays. It's the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Now, those who are watching on the web that aren't from America, I have good news for you. You can be thankful, too. Because Thanksgiving is a wonderful time. You know, in America, it's a time to get together with your family, to eat some great food, probably to eat too much great food, but to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade and your favorite football game. But most importantly, it is a time to be thankful. And so I want to begin this morning by just reviewing how we got a Thanksgiving holiday. Now, our Thanksgiving celebration began with the pilgrims. Now, the pilgrims were a group of Christians who fled persecution in England and they headed out seeking a new home in the American wilderness where they could freely practice their faith. Now, their journey proved to be a very difficult one, but they survived the first year in the New World with the help of friendly natives who taught them how to fish and farm the land. And so at the end of the year, when they had survived the, full, the first year, they had a great harvest feast to give thanks. And by the way, they learned about harvest feasts because they had spent some time amongst the Jews and they learned about the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a harvest feast. And so they said, well, that's a biblical thing to do. Let's have a harvest feast. And so we want to look at the story of how they, uh, how this came about in September of 1620, the pilgrims left England in a small ship called the Mayflower. And there were only 102 passengers. And after a treacherous ocean crossing that lasted more than two months, they dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod in late December. Now, almost everything we know about the pilgrims' first year in the New World comes from one man. His name would, it was Edward Winslow. This is what he looked like. This was a portrait of him taken in England. And actually, this is the only picture we have of any of the original pilgrims. But Winslow was just 24 years old when he and his wife Elizabeth boarded the Mayflower. But the pilgrims, after their extended cruise across the Atlantic, landed in the New World in the middle of what is now known as the Little Ice Age. It was a 500-year period of unusually cold weather. 
Now, they had been through some cold weather in England, but they had never experienced anything as cold as a New England winter. So throughout that brutal winter, most of the colonists huddled on board the ship, which was not really comfortable. It was not well heated. And on board the ship throughout the winter, they suffered from exposure, scurvy, and pneumonia. And death soon gripped the colony. One writer said as many as two or three people died every day during those first few months. Only about half the Mayflower's passengers and crew lived to see their first New England spring. Winslow's wife was one of the first to die. But finally in March, the remaining settlers moved ashore where they received an astonishing visit from a member of the Abenaki tribe who greeted them in English. Now see, contrary to popular opinion, the arrival of the pilgrims was not a first contact scenario because the New England coast has been had been visited by British ships for decades. Well, several days after they went ashore, the pilgrims met another Native American named Squanto, and he was a member of the Pawtuxet tribe. And he had been captured by an English sea captain and sold into slavery before he escaped and returned home. But in the process, he learned to speak English very well. Now, Squanto taught the pilgrims how to cultivate corn, extract sap from maple trees, catch fish in the rivers, and to avoid poisonous plants. He also helped the settlers forge an alliance with another local tribe, the Wampanoag, and that alliance would endure for more than 50 years. It's one of the few examples of harmony between European colonists and Native Americans. And the pilgrims had a very good relationship with the natives. Winslow wrote, we have found the Indians very faithful in their covenant of peace with us. We often go with them and they come to us. We entertain them in our houses and they are friendly bestowing venison on us. And with the natives' help, the pilgrims secured an abundant harvest that fall. Winslow wrote that they were now far from want. Now that must have seemed like a miracle. Because one writer said, by all rights, none of the pilgrims should have emerged from that first winter alive. And yet the pilgrims had gone from the brink of perishing to an abundance far from want in one season. No wonder they were feeling thankful. But see, the natives were also feeling thankful because they were overcoming a shocking tragedy. Plague had been unknowingly carried aboard the ships of the early European explorers. Uh, and the natives had no resistance to it. And someone, some estimate that up to 90% of the native population of southern New England was wiped out by disease from 1616 to 1619. And so in the autumn of 1621, the Wampanoags were also experienced thankfulness for their survival. And the two sides cemented their friendly relations with a great three-day Thanksgiving feast 
when the harvest was brought in. In November 1621, Governor William Bradford organized a harvest feast and invited the colony's Native American allies. It was attended by the 50 surviving colonists and as many as 200 natives. And it was one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations held in the colonies. And based on that, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day to be held every November. That's how we got Thanksgiving. And I believe one of the reasons God has blessed our country is that from our earliest history, we have chosen to thank him for his blessings. Because see, thanksgiving is very important to God. Biblically, we could put it this way, thankfulness opens the door to your future. It opens a straight path to your destiny. Psalm 107 talks about the importance of thankfulness. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his loyal love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those who redeem from the hand of the foe. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. God says thankfulness is important. And that's why Thanksgiving is an important holiday. Thanksgiving is a time to enjoy God's goodness. It's a time to share with family and friends. But most of all, it's a time that reminds us to be thankful. And it's very important to God that we learn to be a thankful people. And that's not just true on Thanksgiving Day. In Proverbs 8, Proverbs 3, God gives an incredible promise to those who will be thankful. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now that's an incredible promise if you understand what it's saying. To understand that promise, we need to see that God has a chosen destiny for each one of us. It's a destiny designed to thwart the schemes of the devil and lead us into a life of fulfillment and blessing. Jeremiah 29, 11 describes God's plans for you this way. He says he has a plan for you and it's a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. A plan to give you hope and a future. That is the destiny God has chosen for you. And all of us are on a path leading us to that destiny. But that path is not always easy to find. Sometimes the path you're on seems dark and shadowy. Say, Lord, why did you put me on this path? It feels like danger lies ahead. Sometimes the path seems confusing. You think maybe it's going this way, maybe it's going that way, but you're not really sure where you'll end up. You're not sure which way to go. Sometimes your path seems precarious. You need to be very careful how you walk. Sometimes you can't see the path at all. You feel like you're wandering in a fog. Because they can't see the path to their future, 
Many Christians feel lost and confused. And they spend their lives in fear and turmoil instead of resting in faith. And see, God does not want you to be lost and confused. God wants to show you your path. And not only that, God wants to make your path clear and straight. God wants to lead you on a path to your future so you achieve your destiny in the earth and experience a life of joy and fulfillment. Proverbs 3 tells us how to experience that. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God says, if you will acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. Now, what does it mean to make a path straight? Well, in the ancient world, that was a, that was a phrase they used to prepare for a visit from the king. When the king was coming, you don't want the king to get there in a bad mood. So you want him to go on very smooth roads. And so people would go out when the king was coming and they would go out to the road, they'd remove the obstructions, they'd fill up the ruts so the king has a smooth ride through the territory and he's in a good mood when he comes to visit. That same is used of God when he comes to visit us. It's, uh, in Isaiah 40, talks about preparing for God's visitation. And it says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And so he's saying, God wants you to make his path straight. He wants you to look at your life and see if there are any obstacles for God to move freely. And he wants you to remove the obstacles so we can welcome his presence in. But in Proverbs 3, 6, God says, while he wants us to make the way straight for him, God says he is also willing to do that for you. He says, if you will acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. He will go before you and prepare the way. He will remove the obstructions and fill in the ruts and lead you on a smooth path into your future. And the key to experience that is to acknowledge what he has done for you in the past. That's called thanksgiving. And God wants to bless you, but he is looking for a thankful heart. We see that in Luke 17 where Jesus heals the 10 lepers. Says one of the lepers that Jesus healed, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God with a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. But Jesus said, were there not 10 healed? Where are the nine? See, Jesus gladly answered their prayer. He was happy to heal them, but he expected a response of thankfulness. And when they weren't thankful, he said, something's the matter. And our willingness to respond to God with a joyful, thankful heart is the key to continued blessing. Deuteronomy 28 says God's goal was to have a people who would serve him with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. 
Now see, when Israel refused to do that, they lost the blessing. Deuteronomy 28, 47 says, Because you did not serve the Lord with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you'll serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Thankfulness is important to God. So God says, if you will acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. Let's look at three examples of how acknowledging the Lord opens the door to your future. The first example is Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. In 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat finds himself on a dangerous path. The Moabites and the Ammonites have come to wage war against him. And the centuries, centuries reported, a vast army is coming against you. That's called danger on the path ahead. But God showed Jehoshaphat what to do. And so he chose men to sing to the Lord. And they went out at the head of the army proclaiming, Give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love endures forever. And as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the invaders. The invaders turned on each other and they destroyed each other. And when the men of Judah looked out at the vast army, they only could see dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Judah's path had led into a dark and dangerous season. They were under attack by powerful enemies. But in that place, they made a choice to give thanks. Singers marched out to the invading armies, giving thanks to the Lord. And giving thanks is an important thing to do when you feel darkness closing in. If you feel darkness closing in, if you feel like you're in a time of danger, God says, ask, what can I give thanks for? And begin thanking God for all the things he has done. And as they gave thanks, God threw the enemies into confusion. The enemy armies turned on each other and destroyed each other. And all Judah had to do was collect the spoils. As Judah gave thanks, God straightened their path and led them into his blessing. So when you feel the enemy attacking, when the path ahead seems dark and threatening, make the choice to thank God. Thankfulness releases God's blessing. A second example of God's straightening paths is with the Apostle Paul in the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 tells us Paul cast out a demon from a slave who was a fortune teller. And when the demon left, she lost her ability to tell fortunes. And so her master seized Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped, to beaten, be beaten with rods and thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. We're told at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praise to God. And the other prisoners were listening. We're told suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and when he saw all the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all of his prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in 
And he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, Paul had been beaten and thrown into jail. Now that was not only unjust, it was also illegal because Paul was a Roman citizen and you could not do that to a Roman citizen. Between the pain from the beating and the injustice he had experienced, it would have been very easy for Paul to sit and murmur and complain. But Paul refused to give in to the temptation of self-pity. Instead, he filled his heart with thankfulness and he chose to praise God. And as Paul lifted up praise and thanksgiving to God, there was an earthquake. The prison doors were open. Revival broke loose in Philippi. When Paul chose to respond to a painful situation with joy and a glad heart, God shook the earth to open a path for his future. God intervened so Paul's destiny could be achieved. So when you're in a painful situation, you feel like you've been mistreated, make a choice to thank God. Thankfulness releases God's blessing. Here's one more example of what thankfulness can do. It's Jesus with the multitudes in Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, we see as Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee, large crowds came to him and he healed them. And then he called the disciples and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. But the disciples said, where would we get so many loaves to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Now, a loaf back then was like a little piece of pita bread. So we have seven pita breads and a few small fish. And so Jesus directed the people to sit down. He took the loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, and it was seven large baskets full. And those who ate, were told, were 4,000 men. Now back then, to count the size of a crowd, you counted the number of men. But if there were 4,000 men, probably the total of the crowd would have been 8,000 or more. Now that was a lot of people. They were all crowding in because they were desperate for Jesus. And Jesus does not want to send them away hungry. And so he asked the disciples, well, what food do you have? And they said, well, we have seven loaves and two small, few, few small fish, which isn't nearly enough to give everybody a taste. There was a great need but the disciples lacked the resources to meet it. But Jesus took what they had. He lifted up the loaves and the fish to the Father. And he gave thanks. And when he gave thanks for what they had, what they had multiplied. And the disciples were complaining about the need. But Jesus chose to give thanks. And when he did, the great need was fully met. So when your needs seem overwhelming, make the choice to begin thanking God. See, there's always things you can thank God for. Thankfulness releases God's blessing. 
See, God is looking for a thankful people. He desires a people whose hearts will overflow with thanksgiving. A people who will worship the Lord with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, as Deuteronomy 28 says. So ask yourself, is that my attitude? Is that how I respond in a hard place, in a difficult place? And if you're willing to acknowledge him, you'll be amazed at what God will do. So how do we acknowledge him? Well, Psalm 107 gives four possible ways. First, you can thank him in words. That's called prayer. Give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 107, verse 8. So say, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. As you go through your day, look at the way God has blessed you and choose to thank him. Then make it a heart habit to give thanks in everything. Secondly, thank him in joyful song. Psalm 107, verse 22. Tell of his works with songs of joy. Bring him a thank offering. Psalm 107, verse 22. Let them sacrifice thank offerings. And then give testimony to others. Psalm 107, verse 32. Exalt him in the assembly of the people. Get around some other people and say, hey, let me tell you what God did for me. Exalt his name, magnify him. When God does something good for you, say so. And so if the path to your future seems in doubt, if you feel lost in the fog, if you are facing danger, if you are uncertain about which way to turn, ask yourself, what can I be thankful for? Let your heart overflow with thanksgiving and then claim God's promise because God says, if you will acknowledge him, if you will thank him for what he's done for you in the past, God says he will make the path to your future straight. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who wants to open the path to our future. You want to open the door to our future. You want to open a clear path to lead us into our destiny to experience the fullness of your blessing. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm thankful for this morning. For those of you who've joined us here online, for how Holy Spirit has met with us, he's spoken and ministered to us. And in this week, I, I just came back from seeing my parents. My dad celebrated his 91st birthday on Thanksgiving Day. And when you're with someone who's lived a lot more life than you have, They've gone through many more experiences and seen the Lord's faithfulness in ways that I'm not familiar with or that I wouldn't think to be faith, thankful for. And so even as Robert has shared and as how the Spirit of the Lord has ministered today, when you begin with a small word of thanks... For example, my dad could share thanks for things that have never been a part of my life, but were a part of his life. And I hear him express his heart of thanksgiving. It stirs my heart. 
and it stirs others' hearts. As we begin to share the small thing, it begins to multiply. It begins to increase. And even as that prophetic word came forward today, that although the enemy would like to keep a veil on all the ways that we've been blessed, that we've been protected, that we've been provided for, that this is a week in which that veil is coming off, that there is a multiplication, there is a synergy as we choose to be a people who give thanks in what may be little things, what may be great things, that that thanks is multiplying, is growing, and it's creating an atmosphere of thanksgiving. So just lift up your hands. Father, we thank you for an atmosphere of movement and anointing that we can express, that we can sing, that we can declare your goodness and faithfulness, expressing hearts of thanks and gratitude. We honor you today for your presence, for your faithfulness, and we choose to be a people activated with eyes of faith to see and to rehearse and to share and declare your goodness your faithfulness. We express our hearts of thanksgiving to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week of thanksgiving.